Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week we have something a little special. I got to catch up with Jessica Valenti, who you may know as the founder of Feministing.com, as the author of books like Full Frontal Feminism and The Purity Myth. You may know her as a columnist at The Guardian or the host of the really fantastic new podcast called What Would a Feminist Do? But I know her as the co-parent of my first book, Yes Means Yes, which we produced together, and a really good deal front of mine. And so on the occasion of her publishing her memoir, Sex Object, I got to catch up with her in person in her home in New York, which is why you'll hear that the audio is maybe a little wonky. You'll introduce to her dog, you'll hear a little construction noise. <laughs> it's very audible. It's just a little here and there. Look, I will tell you right up front, I'm biased. I love Jessica, but her new book is really both a departure for her. It's a series of essays that serve as a memoir. And it's also a departure just in terms of how brave and raw it is. It's basically the story of growing up one particular woman in a world that hates and objectifies women and how that impacts all of her life, her career, her intimate relationships, her parenting, her relationship with herself. She certainly is indicting the culture that turns women into sex objects, but she's not letting herself off the hook in terms of the way that she's navigated that culture either. It's raw, it's real, it's complicated, it avoids easy conclusions, and I am so thrilled to bring you my conversation with Jessica. Jessica, thanks for coming on my show to talk about your new book. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to my house to do it, <laughs> which is even better. I know. It's so exciting to get to do this in person. I know. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Before we talk about it, as you know, it's traditional on Unscrewed to put you through your paces with a little uh, lightning around. Pressure is on. <laughs> What's been making you the happiest this week? My kid. She is doing lots of great talking. She had, you know this, not everyone knows this, but it's in the book, so it's not like a secret anymore. She has selective mutism, so she has a hard time talking with other children. She'll talk to adults, she won't talk to other kids. Up until recently, and now like with the help of some 
therapy and support. It's been awesome. And she did a share in her class the other week, which was super exciting and like what she's been working up to. So that's so exciting. Is she like so proud of herself? She's super proud of herself. Like she will be like, I'm really proud of myself. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, it's, it's very, very cool. And now she's like talking to her friends too. So we're extremely optimistic. My whole heart feels warm and fuzzy about it. I know. I'm, I basically am crying all the time. (laughs) But happy tears. Happy tears. Happy tears. What's the best sex advice you ever received? I have gotten a lot of sex advice. I'm trying to think of the best. Probably just the idea of reciprocation. You know what I mean? Like if someone wants something from you, they should be willing to do something back. Which as like a young (laughs) person was like, oh, okay. Like it was not something I had necessarily thought thought of Who before and wasn't you know I don't remember you don't remember it was like a person in high school who was older it was a conversation about blowies basically Got it. what's the sexuality related news that's been making you the maddest or saddest lately oh there's so much of it it's, it's not necessarily news, but I still get a lot of emails from young women who get abstinence-only education. Uh. Yeah, which is like, I think that like there is sort of like this myth that it's gone away because they, they've lost so much funding, which of course like is great and we've made progress on that, but... It's still there. Like, it still exists. And well, and they still, still have a it. lot of funding. And they do like, still have a lot of funding. I, I know, you know, we talked about this on your show, but Obama zeroed out the budget, but that's just yeah. his budget. Right. Congress is still funding it. Right. So, yeah, that makes me the most furious and upset. Uh, okay. What is the biggest sex myth that you once believed, but you don't believe anymore? Oh, goodness. You know what? I probably believed you can't get pregnant on your period. Oh, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you I definitely think I, I think can get that. pregnant you on your period. absolutely can get pregnant during your period. Okay, last one. Yeah. Who is one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working on unscrewing our sexual culture? Uh, besides you? You can't say me. That's I cheating. Lie. I think that it's nice. I'm going to like broaden this out right. a little bit. I'm going to say teenagers on Tumblr. Nice. Yeah. I am like constantly amazed by like how much I learn on Tumblr from like 17 year olds. What do you like, learn? The new lingo that all the kids are using. You Teach know, us something. Is. Oh God, I'm not going to, okay. I'm not going to embarrass myself. In that all right. Way. I, like, I'm sort of constantly amazed about how much young people are talking about sex online and sharing their stories and like also spreading information and resources in this way. That's really exciting. I think for a lot of teenagers, that's how they learn stuff. I remember posting something on Tumblr like a couple of years ago and I was like, how many of you guys like learned about rape culture in school? Or like, where'd you learn about rape culture? They're like Tumblr, Tumblr, Tumblr. (laughs) So it's like, that's where they're getting these lessons, which of course like is depressing because it means that we're failing young people in like really fundamental ways but is there a word for horrible and amazing at the same time there should be there There must be be. a german word for it right you survived the lightning round thank god so you wrote a book called sex object i did so maybe let's just start with the title why call it sex object i had a lot of trepidation around calling a sex object at first for the obvious reasons of like harassment and the sort of easy criticism of it being like oh you think you're pretty like you think you're sexy which of course like really misses the point the idea that being an object is a compliment is so absurd it's like when you speak out about twitter harassment the response to it proves the need to speak out of it right exactly and it's like you know you can't let twitter harassers frame what you're going to title your book i mean listen at the end of the day i knew that i wanted to do a book about objectification and the way that objectification impacted 
impacted my life, not just on a everyday level or through certain experiences, but on an existential psychic level as well. And the title just seemed right. And of course, I knew that it would be a controversial title and that it would get attention. Sure. And you're an author and you know that that's important. You want to sell also, your book. Yes, I would like for people to buy the book. You would like for people to read the book. Exactly. So I should just say for listeners, you and I have not had a chance to talk about this book. No, we have not. This is the first time. So I like, I want to talk to you about everything all at once. The thing for me that was... <laughs> That's Monty, everyone. That's Monty, sorry. He's <laughs> like, make it a nice question. <laughs> is he your publicist now? <laughs> so... One of the things that punched me in the gut sort of earliest in the book, I yeah. guess, is you talking about your body image stuff. Yeah. And super real talk. I, growing up fat and Jewish in this skinny waspy town, mm-hmm. like, I didn't expect you to feel like that. I, really? Yes. Well, I, you're a lot more conventionally pretty than me. Hmm. Your body type is more acceptable. Right. You're sort of whiter in your features. Right, right, right. right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. It was kind of a revelation to me that you felt nearly the exact same way in your right. body that I did growing up. Right. It was my body a little, but it was my face. I just hated my face so much. But it did have some of that ethnic thing happening where it was like my nose. It was right. like my big old Italian nose. My mom and my sister have a much different look. I look much more like my dad. It sucked. It was a combination of hating my face and wishing that I didn't have this, like, Italian-looking face. But at the same time, like, at that age, I was in a school. For those who aren't in New York, it's it's there's a place called Roosevelt Island that's, like, an island off of Manhattan. It's considered part of Manhattan. I grew up in Queens, and my parents, like, busted ass to, to get me into this better-zoned school. There was a huge class differential there. And while I didn't recognize that as part of it at the time, I think that that was also part of it. And I kind of had the same thing, right? Like my mom married my stepdad who had more money. And, you know, we were fine class-wise, but I never felt like of a piece with those kids who had grown up like that. Right. It's really interesting, and I get into this into the, the book somewhat, but I think like both in childhood and in adulthood, I have always felt like one foot in each. One foot in Queens, right? Like right. in my own city, like with my parents who didn't go to college, and one foot at prestigious Stuyvesant High School, or one foot in the media world. So always like a little bit uncomfortable in both places. But I, I do think that. stuff like that impacts the way yeah. that you see your face and your physical body as well. And of course, there's like the obvious reasons, like we're taught to hate ourselves anyway. But when you're feeling so much sort of like emotional discomfort and like mental discomfort, it makes it more tangible and easy to understand if yeah. you can be, make it all about your face. What your I didn't grow up with, and I think this had to do with me growing up in this tiny little town is the constant street harassment. Mm -hmm. I experienced street harassment a little bit once I went to college, but even then I was mostly insulated on campus. Talk to me a little about that. It was insane. I mean... It was insane. It was insane. I was like, oh my God. Like I know this stuff intellectually, but then thinking about you as a person, as a teenager going through this stuff, I I was just like, what? Yeah. What was weird is because I didn't have anything to 
parrot too. I didn't know that there wasn't street harassment to the same level. There were just like men masturbating at you on the train. Right. When I started developing and I was like 11 or 12, I started noticing dudes look at me. And then of course, once I started taking the subway to junior high, which is safe, by the way, like my parents were not neglectful. Like that's a pretty common thing. Yeah. Just to have dudes showing me their dicks all the time and masturbating in front of me or like trying to feel up on me and I mean it was horrible obviously but it happened with such frequency that it felt like this is just what your life is. you know what I mean like that's just what you need to expect walking down the street and you know it of course it didn't help that the neighborhood I grew up in it was not residential really like it was very industrial walking to the subway you were very alone it wasn't like walking down a crowded right. city block you, well, know you could just I mean? duck into a shop right or, exactly yeah. there were no like shops or anything like that our subway platform was not populated with a lot of people it was pretty isolated this is an incredibly personal book yeah and it's so different than all the other stuff that you've written yes very different so We're recording this before the book is Mm -hmm. released, when very few people have read it. What are you feeling like? I'm feeling horrible. Are you? I am. (laughs) It's both the waiting of, like, hoping people like the writing, because it's such a different sort of book for me, but also preparing myself for the harassment that I know is coming. I've been doing this for a long time. I know exactly what's going to be said, and it's going to be bad. Well, plus, on top of all the usual stuff, whenever a woman writes a memoir, you're going to get the self-indulgence. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, you know, girding myself for all of that. But yeah, like I'm not sleeping. Uh-huh. Like I'm like totally, oh, that's, thank God for Ambien. I mean, anxiety for me, like around work manifests itself very physically. But with this one in particular, oh I'm like God. off the rails. What are you hoping? Let's just pretend it's just you and me. <laughs> um, <laughs> just ignore this microphone. It is a very large phallic microphone. It is. Couldn't you have found a more vaginal, like a conch shell sort <laughs> of microphone for me to like... talk into? Envelops the yeah. sound. <laughs> I don't appreciate this nonsense in my face. Obviously, this is a big deal. You're miserable. You're terrified. Like, you wrote a lot of personal stuff. I'm sure some of which you half wish was not out in the world. Mm -hmm. Why? The truth is that when I wrote it, I was not thinking about readers in the same way that I normally do. Full frontal feminism. I wanted more young women to identify as feminists. All of those books had really specific, tangible goals in my head when I was writing them. For this one, it actually came about because of the writing that I was doing at The Toast. Rest in peace. Love you forever. The Toast. They let me come on to do a food column and I started writing really personal stuff and I was just really happy to be doing it. So when I was writing this book, like I was just like, I just need to write this. It was almost as if I was like, oh, look, I am writing this. This book is happening. It just had to come out. And yeah, like I have a lot of fear and maybe I'll have some regret about putting some of this stuff out there, but I felt like I needed to. And I think there's also a piece of me that is so sick of the harassment and so sick of the nastiness online that this felt like a good way to just get it all over with. To be like, guess what? This is literally everything. There's nothing else. Bring your worst. Let's I mean, I think one of the things I liked and really admired about the book is you don't draw a lot of conclusions. Here's a story and here is another story. It is a series of essays, basically. And you're not, this is what it's like to be a woman in the world. Because, of course, your experience isn't ever, you know, like, this is what it's like to be you in the world. Right. We all experience misogyny in such really starkly different ways. But, of course, the hope is that some of it will resonate. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So, can we talk about the ripe section? Sure. You write an essay yeah. about an experience you had. Yes. Which you admit in the book, if you heard someone else describe it, right. you would call rape. Right. Basically, I was dating this guy. We had had sex a bunch of times before. Went to his house for a party. Had a, a couple of drinks, much less than I normally would. And then basically completely locked out. Woke up to him having sex with me. Fell back asleep. Went about my life. Which, again, like, yes, of course. My stomach ties in knots about this, Jessica. I know, I know. What I write in the book and what was hard was it actually, and I say this with a lot of truthfulness, and as someone who's gone through a lot of therapy, so like, I not for this, but for life, and who knows the things that have really made an impact, it was not something that made a really lasting impact on me. But that doesn't make it not right. No, of course not. But it was difficult for me to call it such because I always thought of sexual assault assault is this huge thing that leaves this lasting impact on you. And I think that was it. And like I write in the book, like it was also during a time in my life where I was so disconnected from myself and so like disconnected from my body and what was going on. I sort of just didn't really feel a man behave towards your body in general. Totally. Listen, I recognized that it was wrong. And literally in the morning, I was like, uh, pretty sure that that was date rape, dude. Like I said it to him, but I said it in a joking way, which is not an uncommon yeah. thing to do. Oh, yeah. You're like, and then I was like, well, why don't you order me some food? I'm really hungover. Sat there and ate grilled cheese and french fries and like bounced and never spoke to him again. But that's like super normal. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of victims of rape feel... Like, they don't want to acknowledge what has happened or, like, right. they don't know how to handle it. And, and right. I mean, we saw that in the Gomeshi case, right? right. Like, totally. most famously recently. Are you worried that the pro-rape assholes are going to use that as yes. ammunition? Yes, I am worried about it. But, again, like, I can't let that frame the way I talk. Monty's, Monty's worried about Monty's that like, too. I will kill those motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't let that frame the way I, the right. truth of it, my ambivalence and confusion is real. And I think that that's an important issue. You know what I mean? I think it is, too. And I think, I'm sure your experience is not unique. Like, right. I'm sure there are people who are like, that rhymes with the way I feel. I did a show last year with Justin Tarmino where we talked about having rape fantasies. Right, right. Yes, I've avoided talking about this for a really long time because it's so easy to get this thrown in your face, but also that's how silence exists. Of course, of course, right. Yeah, I'm sure someone is going to be like, oh, look, like Jessica Valenti says, like, having sex with someone when they're passed out isn't actually rape, which is not at all what I'm saying. Or isn't that big a deal? Or isn't that big a deal? It doesn't, right? Like, I'm really, like, talking about, like, my particular experience 
and and that's it. People are going to take it the way they want to take it. So that story that just came out about Donald Trump and how horrible he is to women in yeah. general, the New York yeah. Times story, one of the women in it has come out and been like, I didn't mind it. Yeah. I didn't mind the sexual harassment in right. a business context. And I just feel like saying... That's not the point. No, right? it's not. Because you don't know how someone's going to react when you do that to them. You could right. just have well have been completely traumatized. Right. right? That doesn't like, mean it's not harmful. It doesn't mean it's not wrong. It doesn't mean it's not illegal. I do believe in survivor-led consequences. Yes. You know what I mean? If you're talking about legal action, you know what I mean? How to talk to someone about it. All of that stuff I think should be survivor-led. But like on the definitional level, right. like it just is what it is. Right. And you shouldn't ever use the fact that one person said, I didn't mind it. Like, oh, well, this lady didn't mind it, so it must be okay. But I think that nuance is exactly what keeps us from talking about it. Yeah, totally. I guess I'm just sort of like, we edited a book about rape together. We've talked about rape one million times. Yeah. Why did you never tell me that story? I don't know. And that's why there's so much questioning in that essay is because I'm still trying to sort it out. I'm still working through that and a whole bunch of other stuff, which is why a lot of the essays like don't have a neat bow on them. And this is part of why I wanted to write the book too. I think that there is this feeling like if you're like a public feminist and you're writing about these issues, you have it together on them. Uh, You know what I mean? I think that's maybe one of the things I loved most about the book was here it all is. Right. I am a messy person. I am a very successful person. I own that. I live my best life. I'm doing all sorts of great stuff, but I'm still working through a lot of shit. That's, that's And you fine. don't have all the answers. And I don't have right? all the answers. It's like when I wrote the thing about abortion and when my mom, after I had my first abortion and my mom told me that she had an abortion, my literal first thought was, oh my God, it's like she's such a good mom. Like how could she have an abortion? Right. Yes. That's, that's nuts. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like that's really, really strange. And I am a feminist who has been writing about these issues for a really long time. And I understand the way that stigma works, but that was still the first but it's all still in your right. brain. You can't, yeah. you can't control that. I think that this book also is sort of an acceptance of that ambivalence and that confusion. I think a lot of people live in a confused place. Yeah. And I think especially with the conversations that we're having around feminism right now, that the mainstream is having around feminism, there is this push for certainty. Clarity. This, this push to have your shit together. Or this push. Well, it's not just about feminism. It's also the hot take economy, right? Right, like, right. Here is my clear opinion about this right. thing that happened. 30 seconds ago. Right. It's like, I don't know, man. And I'm, I'm sort of okay with that. What's your favorite essay? I don't know that I have a favorite. The essay that means the most to me is the first one called Line Violence because it's really the one that kicked off. That is the first thing that I wrote in this sort of vein that made me want to write more. And that's about the history of sexual violence in my family and the way that I, I think that everyone hopes to break that that line and that cycle with each generation and it just doesn't seem to happen. It's an essay that I think is both profoundly depressing but also a little hopeful. It made me wonder a number of times when I was reading the rest of the book, how often when you were writing this did you think about Layla eventually reading it? I thought about it after stuff was done and went back accordingly. It was a big concern for my mom. My mom was, even though she hasn't read the whole book, you know, she was just like very upset and was like, "Uh, like, what is Layla going to think? It's like, well, you know, I imagine that she won't read this book until she's a teenager anyway. And I think that she's an extremely smart, sophisticated five-year-old. And so I imagine the same will be true when she's older. 
either. I don't want Layla to think that her mom is a superhero. Well, but also, I love the idea of Layla reading this. If she's facing some of this stuff, she'll know she's not alone in the way that you didn't know. I love the idea of breaking the silence about it. She'll know she can come talk to you about what the fuck ever. I hope so. Right? Because she'll be like, well... Mom did it. (laughs) Not as bad as my mom did. I do hope that. Listen, I think that there's always a risk, especially like when you're an adolescent or whatever, or even as like a a young adult, can be hard to see your parents as separate human beings outside of their relationship to you. And it's actually really important to me that she does see me that way, that she does see me as a human being in addition to being her mother, because I think that will help her later should she choose to become a mother to see herself as a separate person i didn't really think of my mom as a human being for a really long time and like that's shitty of me but it is true well it's pretty normal it's pretty normal yeah but i think because i felt that it was very easy when i became a parent to have that identity subsume everything else about me or think that it should were there folks who you were are worried about their response to this oh yes but I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's a book about me. It's not a book about other people. And even like my interpretations of other people's actions it is still all very much about me because it's yes. my interpretations. Oh, can we talk about your endnotes? Yeah, we can talk about the endnotes. Can you describe your endnotes? The endnotes are a collection of emails, tweets, Facebook messages that are harassing or threatening. There's like four pages of a dude who just wrote fuck you over and over again. I admire the dedication. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. Do you think he copied and pasted? I hope not. I hope hope he wrote every single one of those (laughs) fuck yous. Um, And that his hand was too cramped to masturbate later. That's my sincere hope. (laughs) He's like, oh, foiled again, Jessica Valenti. (laughs) But yeah. Uh, So when did you get the inspired idea to make these your endnotes? They were going to be one of the essays, but I didn't want to give them that much power. Or, like, make them, like, this huge thing in my life. And endnotes just felt, like, appropriate. Like, this is this constant backdrop for me. Like, this is forever there. But they're in endnotes. They're amazing. And I think in this context, they're hilarious. They're really funny. The last bit is my favorite part because I actually posted my author photo from this book. And there's, like, some MRA Facebook group that, like, posted the picture. And the guy was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I kind of think she's hot or, like, something like that. Like, he was having a confused boner about the whole thing. And what followed was just, like, this conversation about, like, oh, yeah, it's coming awry. I think one of them was about, like, my relative hotness. Or there was one dude who was like, oh, no, that's a really old picture. She's gotten really fat. immediate reaction like it took all of my strength to be like that was taken last week asshole (laughs) (laughs) which is like it's terrible right which is not the point but but like but also you're human which is actually the point of the book like correct i mean i think that what it did was sort of reverberate back through the super vulnerable moments of the book to say yo assholes all these things you're doing are to a human person right right i mean i think that's for me what was so powerful about the book is right Here's what one human person, how one human person has navigated the myriad ways that the culture hates women. Right. And those are a bunch of individuals. This will sound slightly outdated by the time this airs, but literally this morning I was reading the interviews with the guys who harassed the chair of the Nevada Democratic Caucus about why they made death threats and called her a cunt and threatened her grandchildren and all of this shit. And they were like... 
I was just mad. I didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. And you could tell each one of them literally had never considered that that's a human person. Right. Or how gendered all the kind. Right. Anyway. They, well, they don't have to consider it. Right. right. That's part of being male a sex privilege. Object, and, be, right? and that's part of, yes, exactly. Like they don't have to consider how that impacts another person. But I'm glad to hear you say that because that is part of the point of the book that was the hope of it was to humanize a little bit, but not just for sexist, but for other feminists too. Yeah. Like I I'm sure that you feel this way too. Like once people know who you are a noted feminist. A noted fe- right, whatever. There's a tendency to dehumanize there too. Yeah. And I've done that. It's just something that happens. Yeah. And you do it in all kinds of directions, right? right. You're like, I expect this person to have been more perfect than this. Or right. also this person is so perfect. Why am I so shitty? Right. right. Like I do that all in sorts of things. multiple yeah. directions. Exactly. How has your experience of being mm-hmm. objectified about the way the culture hits women and how you've lived that, how does that affect the way you're raising a little girl? Oy. I'll just say this for the record. Like, I wouldn't ask that question except you talk about Layla pretty openly in the book. And so I do. I'm at the point now of just like pure worry. Like I haven't figured out, like I don't have my strategies down yet. I think I'm almost still in denial about the whole, not in denial, but like. Kind of feel like you're keeping her in a bubble so far. Yeah, very. I mean, listen, like we, you know, live in a very nice neighborhood. She has very nice friends. She goes to a school where like they reflect our values and are very social justice-y and it's wonderful. But I do think about like, I'm like, "Uh, I'm going to have to teach her some hard truths at some point and not in a far away point, in a close up point. And she's already learning some of that and like every time that happens it is hard i hate the idea of like oh you just want children to like hold on to their innocence but you sort of do i mean when they're five when they're five but a lot of kids don't have that privilege right they just don't holding on to your innocence and like being um ignorant of something is like a privilege yeah and it does hurt every time she's like what do you mean there's never been a woman president what do you mean a really hard thing for her was when they were learning about martin luther king And she found out how he died. And she's like, guns are real. She was like, guns are in real life. She thought they were like fucking unicorns. Like dragons. Like like dragon, like stories. And so she had to cope with, this is something that exists in the world. Or having to explain to her, she's like, oh, well, it's okay because cops have guns and they're good guys. And me having to like sit there. And you know, again, like she is white. And so she is probably much older for this conversation than a lot of kids who are not, who have heard this conversation and that's a privilege too but like you know having to have the conversation with her that's like actually like no not all cops are good and and should have guns and sometimes they use them in in bad ways all of that stuff is like it's terrible but i would rather her know all of it and have a clear-eyed vision of the world that she's able to make her best decisions from that point than pretending like everything is okay i wonder if it makes you angrier about this stuff than you've ever been on your own behalf It makes me sadder. Really? Like, if you think about guys treating her the way that they've treated you. I'm, like, sort of past the point of anger with a lot of this stuff. Really? Yeah. I'm mostly just sad. I think it's sad for girls. I think it's sad for boys. Like, I think it's really sad for the people who are doing that. Because if you have the ability to dehumanize other people in that way, I think that that does something to who you are, too. And I don't think that that's a happy thing that, that happens to those people. I feel sad about it all around. That doesn't mean that I'm never angry or that those things are not really anger-inducing and, and, and that people shouldn't be infuriated about them. Of course they should. And I get angry at some points, too. But my overarching thing is, that's a fucking bummer. That's sad, and that sucks. But I'm still 
I like to think I'm mostly optimistic, I hope. Oh, can I ask you about the time that you found out that your grandmother was sort of maybe a prostitute? Yeah, sure. That's not the word that anyone would ever use. My mom just has a memory of, you know, her father was an alcoholic and he lost his business and was not bringing home money at all. And my mom has memories of her mom doing what she calls like doing favors for the guy who owned the building and coming downstairs with cash. And so her assumption is that she was doing something sexual and that maybe that happened with a couple of other people because she had five kids. She had a lot of kids to take care of. I come from like an immigrant Italian Irish family. And I don't think it is super uncommon for women to have survival sex or to do favors, as my mom would say, to make sure that there was food on the table at night. It was a shock to me. I mean, this was the first time I heard about so it. So your mother never talked. She was basically like, oh, you know, something that might be interesting for your book is this. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, that would be really interesting for my book. <laughs> but Mom. you also kind of do that in the essay. You're like, here's kind of a story. And it's not like the essay is about right. that. I wanted to frame it as part of domestic work. Right. Because I- it was. For her. Well, and how different is it than sometimes marrying so that you can have a stable income or, you know, like there's lots I don't of think things. It's that different at all. Women have long used their sexuality to get what they needed because that was the power that was afforded to us. Well, rest in peace, Grandma. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> grandma. Well, I don't think you have to be sorry. I mean, maybe you do. Nah, my I'm grandma, sure she... I don't think my grandma would give a fuck. She was a badass. I would have to imagine that she would talk about it with me. Were she here? She was like pretty open about stuff. Her daughter, my aunt, used to get beat up by her husband and stuff. And she would be like, I am going to get a knife and stab him. And people like got him. They're like, oh, she's going to really stab him. Like she was a tough lady and like towards the end she was letting loose she was letting a lot of stuff out she's like you know my pussy's not zen i'm like okay grandma <laughs> i love that what did you what do you say when your grandmother says my pussy's not dead i don't know because i was like 18 i was like oh grandma <laughs> and she would be like you know you just want a little woo 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 sometimes i'm like okay and she would like do like a hip shake with the woo 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 woo, woo, woo. i'm like yeah man i get it was she getting woo 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 when she was dating? You know, I'm, it's, it is unclear to me because at that point she was living in like an older age facility where there was two dudes left. Oh, and all the women were fighting <laughs> and over all the women, him. Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right, I'm going to end with a philosophical question. Okay. Do you think things are getting better? Do you think Layla's story is going to be better I do. than I do. your story? I do. I have to. I mean, I look at all the stuff that younger feminists are doing and young folks and the consciousness raising and the activism. And so I do. But I also have to. How could I go on another day if I didn't? I have to for, for her sake. I will teach her and I think that she is learning at her school and at home that it's part of your job as like a citizen of this world to make sure that it gets better. And so I will be happy, even if it doesn't get better in the ways that I would like it to, I will be happy if she takes that responsibility seriously in her life. That's the best I can hope for. That is the best any of us can do. Yes. Thank you for coming on my show. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to follow your work? They can find me at jessicavalenti.com, which is my Tumblr and website. I'm at Jessica Valenti on Twitter. But most of all, the book is Sex Object, a Memoir. And I hope that people will buy it and enjoy it. Excellent. And you can find me at jacquelinefriedman.com. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. On Facebook and Twitter, I'm Jacqueline F., 
use the unscrewed hashtag to talk with us, me and Jessica, about what you thought of this episode. What's your experience being sexually objectified in the culture? Tell us your story. I love, love, love keeping these conversations going in between episodes on Twitter. Also, email me, unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Give me ideas for future shows, people you'd like to hear on the show, advice questions you want answered by myself and a future guest. I love hearing from you. Also, don't forget to send in your book recommendations. We are unscrewing your summer reading, so we want to know what you think other people should read that has to do with sex and sexuality. Could be wanky, could be wonky, anything in between. Send it all in using the unscrewed hashtag on Twitter or email me, however you want to reach me. I want to hear your book recommendations. We'll be going through them on a future show. You can find this show wherever fine podcasts are available, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher. If you love this show, as I hope you do, please take a minute, give us a review at iTunes. That is how you help us get found by new listeners. This show is produced in collaboration with Katie Tandy, the fantastic creative director at theestablishment.co and edited by yours truly. Our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and our in and out music that you're enjoying right now is by The Pink Tiles. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.